was 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest single chapter in the Bible. And like I said, we did not cover it completely. That's why I'm encouraging you to continue reading it. Um, go back, and it's, it's broke down into those individual sections uh, that, are, that are the Hebrew alphabet. And so just take eight verses each day, read through it, and meditate on it. Think about it. Think about what it says about God's Word. Well, this week, we are, we are doing something completely different. Instead of the longest psalm, we are now looking at the very shortest of psalms, um, which I was talking to one of the ladies' Bible studies. If, if you don't remember, there are several different Bible studies going on uh, during the week, and I really encourage you, get involved in some of those. Um, that is a great way to, to break up the week and to be reminded. I mean, if, if all that you're getting is your, your Bible time during Sunday morning, you're starving yourself. I mean, plain and simple. You should feast on God's Word regularly, not just once a week. So plug into some of these Bible studies and different things. Well, I was talking to one of the ladies' Bible studies that pre-studies what we're going to be looking at each Sunday. And uh, I, I was talking to Linda leads that one, and she said, you know, it was, it was kind of short because it was only two verses, whereas the last week it was it went long and it was hard to pack it all in. And I, I get it. I fully understand it. Um, but what I also want to do this week is a little bit of a gear shift in our study of the book of Psalms. So up to this point, I've kind of focused on Psalms in general and the, the art that's in it and the pictures that are there and being able to recognize that it all starts with the foundation of God's Word. But now we're going to get into some of how do we understand what's going on in the entire t- book as well. Uh, who knows what a genre is? Anybody? Someone want to give me a definition? Okay, it's a kind. All right. Another, another idea? A category, categorization. It's a way that we, we kind of divvy things up, divide them so that we can describe groups. Now, <clears throat> if I were to say a genre of food or a style of food, I'm going to guess you could start thinking of, well, Chinese food, Japanese food, Mexican food, home cooking. Each of those is a, is a style or a type. And, and if I say, for example, Mexican food, everybody thinks of a particular type of food, right? But I'm going to guess most of you are going to go a step further and be like, uh, are you talking like Taco Bell Mexican food? Because that's not really, that doesn't count. Are you talking Tex-Mex or are you talking authentic Mexican? All right. But I've even talked to some folks who they're like authentic Mexican doesn't describe it enough. Are you talking North Mexico or South Mexico? Uh, it, you, you see where I'm going. These, this idea of genres can get really, really detailed. We also think of genres in music, just regular music. There's, there's rock, there's pop, there's country, R&B, I mean, you, all kinds. Well, I, I got kind of wondering, if, if you were to guess how many types of music genres there are, what would you, what would you guess? Hundreds. I, I looked it up, and according to the music genre list, now I don't know how authoritative they are, but according to this one website, there are only 41 primary genres with 337 subcategories. <clears throat> 
I didn't count them all. I, I took someone's word for it, but I saw the list, and it's, it's really large. The idea of genres is, is a way in which we categorize things. And the Psalms fit into genres. And if you, if you do any reading and if you do any uh, research into different Psalms, you're going to find them referred to as different things. And there are, are a variety of genres. Uh, I have books that say that there are three genres or five, seven. I have one that even says there are 12 genres with subcategories. So these can be helpful to describe about the Psalms. But I want to remind you that they aren't really the intent of the psalm itself. Um, They are merely men's categorization so that we can talk about them, so that we can understand general big picture ideas of how they fit together. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three genres. And I, I would contest that they're the major ones, they're the big ones, but obviously there's all kinds of details and people can nitpick about, well, you know, this one isn't really, it fits over there and it... As you go through this, I want you to keep in mind it is merely a categorization method. It helps us understand it, but it has no strict biblical definition. So if someone wants to argue about the genres and, well, this one's a lament and that one's a hymns of praise and that one's a a, uh, messianic psalm and this and that, those are not, they're not really worth arguing about. Uh, They are merely ways in which we categorize them. But like I said, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three overriding big categories. This week, we're going to look at hymns of praise. Now, hymns, generally speaking, are all about just an exuberant praise of who God is. And those are great. But there's also a category called laments. And we're going to look at that next week. Now, I I didn't actually intentionally plan that to be on Mother's Day, that we would look at sad things. I'm sorry, but that's the way that it, it worked out. Um, but we're going to look at this idea of laments and how do we deal with our sorrow when things don't go well, when we aren't excited and happy. And then there's another one called uh, the Thanksgiving, hymns of Thanksgiving. And, and typically those are ways in which we recognize that God has done something for us and we need to praise him, we need to honor him for that specifically. Uh, again, these are just big picture to be able to, to categorize them. Um, Laments actually make up the biggest section of the Psalms. And so we're going to be digging into some of those, in the biggest of the three. But they start off more in the early parts of the book of Psalms. And as you go through the Psalms, there's, there's this shift that happens. And there's less and less laments and more and more hymns of praise, which I, I find fascinating just in the way that it's laid out and set up for us. So today we're going to look at a hymn. And we're going to look at a simple one, a very, seems to be very basic one. And yet, I think as we dig into it, we're going to find out that there is so much packed into just these two simple little verses that it really ought to cause us to sing praises to God. It ought to cause us, as as hymns are defined by their exuberant praise towards God, that, that this psalm, that this short little two verses ought to cause us to just break out into praise when we recognize certain things about who he is. Um, Traditionally, this psalm was used in what's called the Halal Psalms. Um, Halal, we're going to find out, is just a word that means praise. And it's the fifth of a series that were used for some of the high holy days, some of the feasts that were used for the uh, Jewish people. 
And so as, as we go through, we're going we're gonna to find that this is one of many that fit into this category of just praising God. And so uh, I have already challenged you in the past to read through the book of Psalms during this series. We've got uh, about two months, so you should be able to make it all the way through. And just be aware that there are certain Psalms that kind of fit into this category, this idea where all that they talk about is praising God. And so look for those. Pay attention to those. And, and like I said, there are a bunch of them. They tend more towards the end of the book than towards the beginning. Um, not, not exclusively, but in general. So be looking for those and be aware of different ways and different reasons that people praise God. Well, this psalm, Psalm 117, is the shortest, um, and it's a great example of this genre known in his, as hymns. It is a two-part call to praise, followed by a double reason for praise, and then concludes with a declaration of praise. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through. Now, I've laid it out in a series of questions, because I like to ask questions of the text as I, as I go through it. Um, this is the questions that we're going to be, yeah, there they are, that we're going to be looking at. We're going to find out who do we praise? Who is to be doing that? Who's, who is supposed to praise? How do we praise? Why do we praise? And then my concluding question that I, I love to ask is, so what? What do I do with this as a result? Now, in your bulletins, um, you all have the entirety of the psalm printed. So we're going to do something a little bit different. I want everybody to read it with me. Read it out loud. Um, this is from the NASB version, but if you just use your bulletin and read from it, that way we'll all be reading the exact same ones. But I want all of us to read it together out loud. You don't have to yell it, but go ahead and read it out. And uh, we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 117. You ready? Let's begin. Praise the Lord. All nations, laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117. Okay, so obviously the first question is, who are we supposed to praise? Starts off with, do what? The Lord. Okay, that one's pretty simple, right? It would be, but as you guys know, I like rabbit trails. Um, I've tried to, to kind of back off and not do too many of them, but I think that this is one that needs a little bit of, of digging into. Um, who are we to praise? If you go to the next slide, this is who's listed. Now, if you, if you look in most English translations, it says the Lord. But who is that? What, what's that talking about? The idea is Yahweh. Um, it's in, in English, we call this the tetragrammaton. I suppose that's actually in Greek. That it just means the four letters. The, so if you see that term, tetragrammaton, it just means the four letters. The top four letters, the Y-H-W-H, that's the English con consonants that equal the Hebrew letters that are up there. For those of you who've studied Hebrew, you remember that they didn't originally have vowels in it. It was just consonants. And so the, the bottom section there is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. Well, most likely you've heard the term Yahweh and Jehovah, right? Those are supposed to be the same word, and yet that's completely different. Well, why? What, what's going on there? Um, this word, Yahweh, the, the tetragrammaton, these four letters, 
appear some 5,000 times in the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a pretty important, pretty significant thing. Um, it is the name of God, but it's unclear how it was originally pronounced. And the reason is because the Jews honored this name so much that they didn't say it. They would avoid saying it. Instead, they'd replace it with Adonai, which is their word for Lord, which is why in most English translations, it's translated as Lord, or with uh, Elohim, which is the generic name of God, just God in general, um, or they would use the word Hashem, which just means the name. And that way they would avoid saying his name out loud because they wanted to respect him. They wanted to, to show him honor and they didn't want to mess up saying his name or writing his name. And there's, there's a lot of tradition that goes into when they would write copies of the Old Testament, if they messed up in, in the calligraphy, in the handwriting of the name of God, then, then that was a big deal. And they had to do all kinds of work to clean that up and make sure that, it, that they did not err in God's name. And so they were very, very careful about it. But because they didn't use vowels and because they didn't say the name very often, it makes it very difficult in English to know how do you pronounce this name? How do we say this name? And that's where um, they actually used the vowel pointings of those two words that I just said, of Elohim and of Adonai, and they would put the vowels in so that they wouldn't mess up the name. And like I said, they would use Elohim or uh, Adonai instead of saying God's name. Well, the result of all of that is that scholars 2,000 years later have a hard time being able to say, okay, this is how you pronounce it. Now, the one thing that I can tell you for sure, Jehovah is not the correct pronunciation because there was no J sound in Hebrew. So if there's no J, then it can't be Jehovah. Um, the reason for that, if, if I know we're, like I said, we're going on a little bit of a rabbit trail. The reason for that is that Latin did have a, or did introduce a J sound to replace the Y sound. And so they were using the Yehovah, but uh, there's even some argument, is, is this supposed to be a two-syllable or a three-syllable name? Now, if, if I've completely confused everybody, my apologies, but I found it interesting to kind of dig into this name of God. And, and what is God's name? How do, we, how do we pronounce God's name? How do we praise him? The conclusion that I come to is that uh, Yahweh is the proper way. Um, but, like I said, there's, there's a little bit of, of difference. Now, all of that said, let's take a look at this name as it comes up in Scripture. It, I, I mentioned it comes up 5,000 times. No, we are not going to look up all of those. Don't worry, I'm not that crazy close maybe, but not quite. I only have uh, one, two, three, four, five, just five that I want to take a look at. The very first time that he pronounces his name comes when God is talking to Moses. So turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter three. <clears throat> In Exodus chapter three, you guys probably remember most of the stories that we're going to be touching on. Uh, Moses has been out in the wilderness by himself. He, he grew up in Egypt. He was run out. He ran away to escape. And um, he lives 40 years in the wilderness. God's getting him ready for a special mission that he has. And he comes to him in a burning bush. And he says, all right, Moses, it's time for you to go back and bring my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. 
And there's, I'm, I'm summarizing, obviously, but there's this exchange that takes place. And finally, Moses says, well, but nobody's going to believe me. I mean, who am I? I'm a nobody. Who should I tell them sent me? That's where we're going to pick it up. In Exodus chapter 13, in verse 14, Moses, I'm, I'm starting off, sorry, Exodus chapter 3, I'm starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So he gives his name as Yahweh, which the, the word itself just means I am. From that, we find that God is the self-existent one. Who else at any time in all of history can say, I am? See, for all of us, we had a birthday, right? At, at some point, we were born. And we couldn't before that say, oh yeah, yeah, I exist, because we weren't born yet. We weren't conceived yet. And, but God never had a beginning. And there will never be an end to God either. And so when he declares himself as the I am, he is making a declaration that he is eternal, that there is no beginning, there is no end. He is self-existent. Now, this was way, way before philosophy got into the idea of um, the initial cause or any of the arguments like cosmological arguments about how do we know that God exists. If you were at Sunday school this morning, um, Jim passed out a, a paper that talks about how do we know who, who started God? Where did he come from? All of that type of an idea. Well, he declares, when, he, when Moses asks him, who should I say sent me? God declares, I am. I have always been. I will always be. So what, is, what does that have to do with the book of Psalms? If we're going to praise God, we need to know who we're praising. And the first thing that he says about himself is, I exist. There is a God. And that he's always been. Let's go ahead up to Exodus chapter 15. Now this one comes a little bit later in the story. It's Moses still, but a little bit later. After Moses goes into Egypt, you guys remember the story. He goes in, there's all the different plagues. Finally, finally, Pharaoh lets them go. And they, they not only get to leave, but they get to take with them all kinds of plunder from, the, from their time there. And so they leave with lots of riches. And they start to go, and they end up between the rock and a hard place, or between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. You guys remember this story, right? Well, what happens? God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side, and Egypt's army tries to follow them, and God stops holding back the Red Sea and wipes out the entire army. That's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15 verse 3 uh, Moses, start, well, back in, in verse 1, Moses sings a song. He starts off and he praises God again. Um, and he is making some statements and some declarations about it. I'll read verse 1 through 3. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation this is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. 
The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So from this, we find out a little bit more about who Yahweh is. He is the one that fights for us. He is our protector. He is a warrior. He defended his people. And so when we get to the Psalms, I want you to be aware that the, the Hebrews, as they sing, praise Yahweh, this is the stuff that they're remembering. It's not just this generic, oh, we, we need to worship God, whoever, you know, whatever God you want to, your, your God, my God, their God, it, it doesn't matter, they're all, uh-uh, that is not what's going on. He is declaring, he is specifying, praise Yahweh, praise the one who is self-existent, Praise the one who delivered us out of Egypt, who, who brought us forth, who opened the Red Sea for us, who fought our battles for us. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah, um, he is again specifying what his name is. And in, in 42, we find out another aspect of who God is. In 42 verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. See, you'll, you'll recall from uh, your study of the Old Testament that over and over again, God makes it known, don't make graven images, don't make idols. There is no one else that compares to God. Nothing that you can make, whether it's even, even the most beautiful, elaborate thing that you can conceive of, of gold, fine laid and worked and all of that, is no comparison to God. God is unique. He is special. There is no one that compares to him. And he's not going to share his glory with anyone. He's not going to share that praise that is due to his name with anyone. And so... I am the Lord, that is my name. I do not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. He lets it be known, Yahweh is who he is. And there is a uniqueness to that God. Again, when we come to Psalms and we, we start to praise God, and we say, praise Yahweh, we're not saying, just pick a God, any God, it doesn't matter, you know. He's specifying a specific individual God. This is the one that is self-existent, who delivered Israel out of slavery, who fought their battles and protected them, and who does not share that glory with anyone else. Only God is worthy of praise. A few, few pages over into the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16 Verse 21, again, he says, this is my name. And in Jeremiah 16, 21, it says, Therefore, behold, I'm going to make them know. This time I will make them know my power and my might. They shall know that my name is Yahweh, is the Lord. There's no doubt. God doesn't leave a question about it. Now, man likes to try and figure things out, and, you know, in our modern day, they're like, well, you know, science, science explains everything. Not if you actually do true science, strict science, it doesn't explain everything. It helps us understand things, but there's still going to be some questions. There's still going to be some things that's like, uh, uh, how do we understand that the worlds were made? I mean, no one was there. 
Oh, wait, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the one who was there at the beginning, the one who's always been, he says what it is. He explains to us, and he makes it known who he is. Last one, one more in Amos. Getting into the prophets. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Okay. All the way to the minor prophets, Amos chapter 5. Yes, I do still have to sing the song in my own head. It's okay. If, you, if I see you mouthing the, the various books of the Bible, that's perfectly fine. In Amos chapter 5, verse 8, He who made Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Like I said, this word, Yahweh, is used 5,000 5, times in the Old Testament. We've only looked at a few of them where it says, this is his name. So we, we specify, we understand, we're not talking about some other God. You go through the Old Testament, and there were times in which Israel wandered away. And they went after Baal, and they went after Molech, and they went after, you, you start doing some research, there's all kinds of different deities that people would worship. And I, I mentioned those other words, Elohim and Adonai, those applied to a lot of them. People would call them God and Lord or Master, person in charge. And yet, when we dig through and we find out the name of God is Yahweh, there is no one else like him. He is preexistent, always has been. He is the one that delivered his people. There's a uniqueness about him. He is from all eternity. And from this one we find in Amos chapter 5, verse 8, that he created and controls all things. See, fast forward to the New Testament. When they're out on the water and Jesus stands up in the middle of a storm and says, Peace be still and everything stops, and everybody looks at him like, why were they so amazed? Why were they so shocked? Because only God has that level of power and authority. That's what this is saying in Amos, is that that Yahweh, only Yahweh has authority and power over the stars. That's that's what Palladius and Orion are, is is constellations, or, or changing the deep darkness into morning. He's the only one that controls the sun, the moon, the stars, and even the water, calls the water from the seas and pours them out on the surface of the earth, that's only God that has that level of of authority and of ability and power. So, what is the point? The point of this, they knew exactly who they were praising. There was no question, no doubt about, well, is this the generic God? Is this an unknown God? Is this the God of the moon or the stars, or is this the God of you know, fill in the blank? It's, it's none of that. They specified, in going back to Psalm 117, they specified, praise Yahweh, praise God. That is who they were praising. No questions, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no doubt about it. Only one was worthy of praise. Now, who is it that is to do that praising? That's the second question. We know who to praise, but who's supposed to praise him? Now, you would think in a hymnal of the Israelites that they would call out to their neighbors, 
to their friends, to their brothers, and say, hey, fellow Israelites, you should praise God. Let's get together and praise God. I mentioned that this was one of the songs that they would sing as they were getting ready for um, the feasts, for Passover, for you know, the, the Feast of Booths, and all of those different events and activities. But what do they say? It says, praise the Lord, all nations. Now, I got digging into that one a little bit. And the word that's used there is also, interestingly enough, used of swarms of locusts, which struck me as kind of odd. I don't, I don't know if you guys ever, when, when you're reading God's word and you start studying into words, which I encourage, have a, have a Strong's or do it like on Blue Letter Bible or something, and you start looking at the specific words. When it says all nations, it, it's the same word that's used of a swarm of locusts, which struck me as interesting. But the idea is that it's referring to large groups of people, nationalities. And you'll notice it's not saying, praise him, you Israelites. This is the word that's also used for Gentiles. So praise him, the Gentiles. I found that one very interesting because I I don't know about you, but in my head, Israel was the ones that God had called and that's who, who everything's focused on. And yet, If you step back and you actually study through the Old Testament, you find all the way through, God isn't just calling out Israel. He's calling Israel to spread the word to all the nations, to everyone. See, we have this tendency, at least Christianity in general, you guys probably don't as much because you've been well taught, but Christianity in general has this idea that, well, the Old Testament is just about uh, Israel and the New Testament, that's where it spreads to all the world. No. God's plan has always been that all nations come to him. And so this psalm is saying, praise God, all nations, everybody. May the swarms of locusts, may the, may the people who praise him be as numerous as a swarm of locusts, which if you've ever seen is millions and millions and millions. See, that's God's desire. That's what we want is that all nations of the earth, and, and like I said, this is primarily used of Gentiles. See, even in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were called to praise God. It was the Israelites who were supposed to share that message. Well, in the New Testament, that's us. The the believers, the followers of Christ, are supposed to share that message. But that still remains the same thing. All nations need to praise him. The next one, it says, laud him all peoples. Well, I started digging into that one. Obviously, there is a little bit of overlap between these, but it actually is a different word, and it means something a little bit different. This one's used of families, of family groups. We would use the idea of tribes. So whether it's a country established with a, a government and official boundaries and all that, or a tribe, a family group, a, a people groups that you know wander around that may or may not fit into those nice little definitions of nations, they are also being called to praise God. Not just any God, but to praise specifically Yahweh. So, who is commanded to praise? All of the nations and all of the family groups. Yes, there's a little bit of distinction between them, but I think that this is is really, really important to understand. It's not just the Israelites. God built into the Old Testament and into their worship a reminder that he wasn't just after Israelites to follow him. He was after all people. 
That's what he has wanted from the beginning to the end. In essence, this song then becomes evangelistic of sharing it to all the nations, of not just having it for themselves. It's a call to all people to remind his own people that he wants more and to remind others that he wants them to come in as well. This is why missions become such an important thing. Um, One of my friends is with New Tribes Missions, and that's a frontier mission group, and they go out to places that have never heard, and they're looking for these tribes, these people groups, these families, to be able to share the gospel with them. We also support uh, Wycliffe Bible translators who are trying to translate the Bible into other languages so that other nations will be able to understand who God is in their heart language in a way that they recognize and can understand so that the result of this psalm comes into play so that we can call them to praise Yahweh, the God, the one true and living God. So, we know who to praise and who's supposed to be doing that praise. But how do we do that? How are we called to praise God? Well, there, again, there are two different words that are used. Um, the first one is halal, which if, if I mispronounce my Hebrew and you're a better Hebrew scholar than me, please forgive me. Uh, I have enough trouble with English words, so if I mispronounce a Hebrew word, yeah, my apologies. Um, but this one from, from Strong's, it is a primary root, it means to be clear, to shine. So to make it obvious, to make it clear who he is, to proclaim him, okay? To, to not hide him or, or make it unable to know who he is, but to make it clear. The word also means to boast, to celebrate, or to commend. Now, I got thinking about this one, and as you all know, I like word pictures. I like object lessons. How many of you have ever gone to a sporting event of any kind? Okay, most of you have have been somewhere. You ever see those guys who are all decked out in their team's gear? Like, they make it clear, they make it obvious who they're rooting for. Um, I, I love Green Bay Packers fans because you ever watch them on TV? I mean, they're some of the crazy ones. Like, the, the cheese heads and all painted up. And, like, there's no doubt about who they are rooting for. Okay? That creates a really good picture of what this is. There's no holding back. They boast about their team. They're like, my team is the best. Like, nobody else competes. Even though Green Bay hasn't won a, a Super Bowl for I don't remember how long, they won the first one, and so they'll let everybody know Green Bay is the... I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've, you've experienced it. Um, they support their team. They cheer for their team. They let it be known why. This is the best team, and everyone should support this team. That's what's going on here. That's the idea of praise halal that's happening here to boast to celebrate even to rave about the the word in a in a figurative sense even says to be foolish for see we ought to praise god to such an extent that others look at us and like are you okay in the head i mean all you want to talk about is god all you want to do is is worship him all you want to do is is read his bible like is there something wrong with you? Well, we think that in a, in a funny way about some of those fanatics of fans of sports teams, we ought to be that way about who God is. 
The next one, this idea of laud, the, the Hebrew word is shabak. It means to address in a loud voice. Uh, specifically, to be loud about. Which is interesting to me because the word also means to pacify or to speak soothingly to. Which I found kind of odd. And that's one of those, the ways that words are used can be interesting, can be different. What it boils down to, the point is to talk about and to. And, and in different ways, but to talk about and to talk to. To commend, to glory, to praise, uh, to pacify with words, to soothe, to address in a loud tone. The idea is to say things about him. That's, that's really what it boils down to, is to talk about God. Going back to our sports analogy, have you ever listened to someone talk about their favorite team? How long do they go on about their favorite team? Now, do what? Forever. Now, I, I recognize not everybody is a sports fan. That's okay. Let's talk about cars. How many of you who were here last week and you noticed that there were a couple of really cool cars down over here? There was a Mustang and there was an AMX, right? And I, I got to watch the, the, the guys around those a little bit. It was fun. This is not a bad thing. It was, it was neat to see. But you get them talking about cars and they're going to tell you all about it. Now, I didn't know what an AMX was, but I got a good education, and it was cool. It was really neat. You ever talk to somebody about their car or, or something that they were passionate about that they really liked, and they just wanted to talk about it and tell you all about it and why it was so cool and everything? Well, that's the idea here. That's what it is to laud. So it starts off, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples. The question that I asked was, well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, the result is everyone, th this is calling all people, all nationalities, all families, every person, every individual to talk about God, to be crazy for God, to love him, to desire him, to share him with others, to let other people know about him, to talk to him and tell him how awesome he is and how you view him and to interact with him. It seems pretty obvious when we, when we dig down into it. You've talked to people about sports or about cars or about whatever it is your favorite thing might be. I enjoy talking about food. And you guys have already picked that up about me a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk food. You get talking to my, my daughters and they'll talk about crafting. Whatever it is, we have things that interest us and we talk about it. And we... We talk about why it's cool and what we like about it. We should be doing that about God. That's, that's what this is. That's all that it's saying, which I summarize very, very simply. And yet, it's such a big idea. Because the first verse says, Praise Yahweh, all peoples, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. The goal is that everyone, everywhere, be constantly talking about God, the way that right now in the United States, people are talking about sports or politics or food or cars or guns or fill in the blank, whatever it might be. We ought to be praising and talking about God. But the question comes up, why? I can tell you good things about a sports team. You know, there, there are some sports people 
who like donate millions and millions of dollars to charity. And that's, that's really cool. That's good for them. I can tell you why you ought to root for that team because their quarterback throws the longest passes or because their, their slugger is able to hit a thousand home runs every season. I know that's way more than possible. What is this record? 65, something like that. Anyway, you can come up with all those reasons for things that we celebrate, but why should we praise God? What, what reason do we have to worship him? See, in the world around us, sometimes people look at God and they're like, well, he's just a big meanie. I mean, if God were really a, a nice God, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, it, it's a normal question. It happens a lot. It's, I would contest, actually a reasonable question. But we have to understand what the answer is. Well, here it says, for his loving kindness is great towards us. This is one of those words, uh, I remember when I was in seminary, we came to this word, and I, I immediately liked it because of the way that it sounds. The word is chesed. It's got that little back of your throat, chesed. It's, it's just a fun one to say. But then I began to understand what it's talking about. And, and yes, it is kindness, but it's more than that. That's the, that's the simple translation, but that's like when we come to the New Testament and we run across the word love, all right? How many different kinds of love are there? Well, there's tons. You can say, I love pizza. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love my car. I love God. That's five different ways to use it, and no, they are not all the same. They're different. There's, there's nuance, and there's understanding. When I, when I say love, there's a lot packed into that one word. Well, chesed is one of those. There's a lot packed into this one word. It means kindness. It means loving kindness. But, but more than that, it kind of means mercy. And, and that's, that's a way to understand it. Generally, when this word is used, it is speaking of one who is in power to one who is not in power. So there's a, there's a power dynamic involved as well. See, we can be nice to one another. I can be kind to somebody, and they can be kind to me, and that's, that's all well and good. But the idea of chesed is more like someone who is in complete power and authority treating someone who has no recourse, who has no response, treating a slave with kindness. Now, that changes the way that we, we view this idea. I've got, we're, we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 14. I'm only, only going to go to one example on this one. This word does come up many, many times throughout Scripture. There are a lot of great examples. But in Numbers chapter 14, I think we see one of the best uh, ways to help us understand what chesed is. Now, if you remember your Old Testament a little bit, you'll recall that the people of Israel, they left Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt. They come out of Egypt because of Yahweh. Yahweh draws them out, brings them across, fights their battles for them, leads them through the wilderness, gives them his law at Sinai, brings them to a beautiful place filled with, uh, flowing with milk and honey, exactly where he wants them to be. It's the promised land, and they're right on the border, getting ready to go in. They send in 10 spies. You guys remember this story, right? You know where I'm, where I'm talking about? Okay, send in the 10 spies, or sorry, the 12 spies. 10 of them come back, and they're like, hey, it is an awesome place, but there's these giants there, and they're going to wipe us out, so I don't think this is going to work. And two of the spies, they, they come back and they're like, hey, God is on our side. 
Yahweh has fought for us. We are good. Let's go. It's great. Well, the people listened to the ten instead of the two. Now all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and they grumbled against Moses. This is uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. The, the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Basically, they're bemoaning where they're at. They're like, we have no hope. It's all worthless. And they decide, they get together and they decide, you know what? Let's execute uh, Aaron. Let's execute Moses. Let's just, let's elect somebody else and go back to Egypt. And maybe we can get our position back. You remember that position where there were slaves, where they were beaten and, and had no rights and no privilege? They, they're saying that would be better than where we're at right now which is mind-boggling. I don't get it, but that's what they've decided. And so they're getting ready to do that. And Moses goes before them, and he, he hits the ground, and he's on his, his face. and be like, no, 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 don't do this. This is a bad idea. This would not be wise. Well, there's a little bit of an argument, and then God shows up, which is always an awesome thing as, as you're reading through. God shows up in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I've performed in their midst? Reasonable question. Now, let me ask you, before we read on, let me ask you, if you were a leader in this, you'd put up with them for all of this time and all of the nonsense. I mean, they they have not done the right thing the entire way. What would your response be? If you were Moses, what would you want? Not, Not... don't give me the, the Sunday school answer of, oh, I just love Jesus, I do the right thing. No, really. You know how, you know, you, you got it. Like, personally, I'd be kind of fed up. I'd be like, you know what? They, I don't deserve this. They don't deserve it. Just, just wipe them out. God offers that. He straight up says, I will smite them with pestilence and dispose them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than you. Moses is given the option, like, hey, I'll wipe them out and I'll start over with you. What does Moses do? Not what I would do. Not what most of us would probably do. Moses, and now he's already on the ground. He's already, you know, down before the people. But in in my mind, he hits his knees right here. He he already was, but he, he says to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear of it. For thy strength, thou didst bring up this people from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, and they, that they heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, art seen eye to eye when your cloud stands over them, and thou didst go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So Moses is recounting to God what's happened. Like, you led us here. You were in front of us. You, everybody knows it. The Egyptians know it. The people of this land know it. Everybody knows it. Now, if you slay this people as one man, the nations who've heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring his people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So Moses presents to God like, wait a minute. If, if you wipe us out, everybody else is going to say that you didn't have the power. You weren't able. You couldn't do it. They're going to mock you. So Moses' first response is like, hey, I don't, like, I don't think that's a good idea because I don't want people to look down on you. I don't want people to look at you in a bad way. But then he goes on. Verse 17. But now I pray. 
let the power of the Lord be great. Obviously, we know that God's power is great, but let it be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in chesed, in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and to the third and fourth generations. What is his request? What is Moses' request? Verse 19, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to thy chesed, to thy loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. What is chesed? It's mercy. It's grace. It's kindness. It's when the people deserved death. God gave them chesed. When I deserved death, what did God give? This idea of chesed, it's more than just kindness or loving kindness. When, when you see this word in Scripture, which typically it's translated as loving kindness, so as you, as you read through the Psalms and you see loving kindness, nine times out of ten, it's the word chesed. In the New Testament, we say God is love. And we look at this fact that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. In the Old Testament, the term that's used for that is chesed. They deserved death. It would have been right. It would have been just. But Moses calls out to God and says, because you are, because of your character, you are loving, you are kind. Because of that, pardon them. Not, not in an in a unrighteous way, because God is always just. God is always righteous. He always visits the iniquity. It, it's dealt with. But Moses calls on him and says, pardon them, forgive them. They, yes, they've messed up over and over and over again, but pardon them. When we go back to Psalm chapter 117, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all people. Why? Because his loving kindness. That, that loving kindness where I was a sinner, separated from God. What does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is, I deserved, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. That's what's being contained in that one little word there. This, this hesed, this loving kindness. Yes, ma'am. I'll get back to you on that one. C-H-E-S. I think I have it in my notes. Hang on. That's okay. Thank you. Because of that, that's why we praise God, because of who he is, because of his very nature, because of his loving kindness. Notice his loving kindness is great toward us. I'm not going to go as long on, on great. It means massive, huge, big. It is strong, it is mighty, it is powerful, and it is sure. It is his hesed towards us that we ought to praise him for. And that's only one reason. What's the other reason? 
I, I told you there's two. And we don't have time to dig into it the same way. I'm telling you guys, if, if you haven't figured this out yet, I know I'm, I'm on a little bit of a rabbit. If you haven't figured this out yet, the Psalms are packed with theology. It's so easy to just read them through and be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You start digging into them and it's like, wow, there is so much going on here. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. This little phrase, the truth of the Lord, encompasses all of Psalm 19, or Psalm 119 that we looked at last time. Truth, his word, what he says, what he declares, it is solid, it is sure, it is steadfast, there is no wavering. When God says it, that's what it is. There's a stability in his spoken word, it is forever, it lasts it's everlasting. There is no end to it, so it will not run out. There is no t- point in time in which his word is not true. So not only does he not break his word, but it lasts for all eternity. I mention Psalm 119 because last week we looked at 176 verses that just talk about God's word. And here we have this one little phrase that contains all of that. God's word, his truth is everlasting. So I'm going to leave that one right there. I, I told you last, not, last week about the diamond that Psalm 119 is. It's, it's looking at this diamond and it's looking at all of the different facets and all of the different ways and just seeing the beauty and the glory of it. Well, that, this word is trying to say it's, it's this diamond. Examine it. Love it. Look at it. Dig into it. So what? So what? If the truth of the Lord is forever, it hasn't ended, it never will. And if we understand what his chesed is, what his loving kindness toward us is, if you are part of a family, which I think all of us are, or if you live in a nation, which I think all of us do, then you and I are commanded, because these words aren't just, it it says praise and laud, it's not just suggestions, it's not just good ideas. These are flat out commands, they're imperatives. Praise him. If, if you're part of a family or if you live in a nation, praise him. If you're part of a family or you live in a nation, speak about him. Speak about him to him. Speak about him in your daily life, to others, to each other, in all kinds of different ways. Recognize him because of his chesed and because of his word. His word is true. We get down to the very last phrase. And this, this last phrase really summarizes all of it. The, the phrase is where we get the idea of hallelujah. It's halal, yah. Now, yah is the shortened form of Yahweh, which is who we're praising in the first place. So we get all the way down to the bottom of this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all people, for his loving kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Worship him. We have this tendency, I don't, I don't know about you, but I enjoy classical music. There's the Hallelujah Chorus. I enjoy some more modern music. There's uh, a song called Hallelujah. Uh, it's used both religiously and secularly, and I don't think that most people understand what it means. We've just spent this time looking at two verses 
about who and what we are to praise. And that word, hallelujah, when you see it or you hear it in life around you, I want you to think about this simple two little verses that are so easy to read through and check the block. Yes, I read my Psalms for the day. But you slow down and you dig into it. And I said that the idea of hymns is this exuberant praise towards God. When we understand who we're worshiping and why we're worshiping him, when we see hallelujah, you ought to pause and just praise God because of who he is, because of what he has done. He's given us his word that we can study it, that we can learn from it, that we can understand it. He gave us his son who died on the cross to pay the penalties for your sins and for mine. That is why we praise him, we worship him. So I want to challenge you as you go through this week and you come across these simple, simple hymns, simple phrases, simple words, recognize there's so much about who God is that we need to praise him and worship him and glorify him for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff of life, to forget who you are and what you've done. Lord, forgive us for that, please. But help us to praise you. When we see a sporting event, think of our favorite team or our favorite car or our favorite food or whatever, May that cause us to remember that you are greater and that you are more worthy of of talking about, of praising than any other. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Help us to worship you at all times among all people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.